Let's hit it. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. Dino Files. Hello and welcome to Dino Files number 25. I am Dino and I am here to uh, to make uh, files. Files of audio and other various things. Um, I'm going to look here at the news. First, a couple of new things. <clears throat> AI Radio is going to have two new, sho- two, two new shoes. It's going to have two new shows coming up here pretty quickly. We've got uh, Widowed by Podcasting, which is a podcast that is kind of in its early early days. I'm, I'm about to edit together a, a clip show that's kind of a preview show of uh, these two girls whose uh, partners are podcasters and who live for podcasting and not them. <laughs> or at least that's the way it seems sometimes. So that's what that show is. And then we have another show that we're going to be doing that I do not know if the title is going to be the same as it has been, but Ryan, who did Annie Files, is uh, going to be kind of getting back into the game and he's going to be making a show uh, that I'm going to be on and a few of our friends are going to be on and we're going to be watching uh, the first episode of, of all the new anime from this season um, that aren't, you know, OVAs or, uh, or uh, sequels. We're going to be doing that. Uh, that'll be pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Now, uh, let me look here. I'm going to do a quick sound test. I'm using a new system for sound, and it may or may not fail me at some point. I am not sure. I've had a couple of small problems with it, uh, things that I think are the operating system throttling the amount of uh, CPU and memory that is going toward running this program in the background all the time. I'm not sure when that kicks in or how it, it might affect the show, but if it, if it has a failure at some point, I'm just going to do a quick test. You'll you'll hear a little bit of an echo, I think, with it, but at some point, I, yeah, it still sounds good, so I'm probably going to test it a couple of times during the show just to make sure that it doesn't shit the bed on me. That would be upsetting if it were to happen. I'm going to take my glasses off. I don't like this glare. So let us get right into what we're supposed to be doing, which is a podcast. <laughs> uh, interesting legislation. Okay. So there was, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to do at the beginning of all the shows, I'm going to try and do some interesting legislation. Look at some interesting legislation that I've seen uh, sort of go through the legislature and talk about it a little bit. Now, there's a piece of legislation that went through the legislature very recently. It was passed by the House on the 26th of uh, July. It is July, right? It is July. Wow. Anyway, it was passed on by the House on the 26th. And this is H.R. 3219. This is the DOD uh, appropriations bill. And there's a couple of things that stuck out to me. Uh, a couple of very funny things. Most of the... I read through the uh, rather intense, actually, summary of this bill. And it's basically, you know, the bullshit you would expect. Money can be spent here. It can't be spent here. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, intelligence agencies getting a ton of money. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. And But there were a couple of bits that kind of stuck out to me. And it kind of kills me that they have to include this. So... Uh, the first piece I'm going to talk about is section uh, 8116 and 8118. Uh, I'm sorry, 8117 and 8118. 8117 permits specified funds provided by this bill to be used for activities related to the Zika virus. Now, 
if you follow kind of the no agenda show and the opinion they have about the Zika virus and all that stuff, you that will make you laugh. And also, 8118 prohibits funds provided by this bill from being used for any computer network that does not block access to pornography websites with exceptions for criminal investigations, prosecution, or adjudication activities, or for any activity necessary for the national defense, including intelligence activities. I'm not sure if pornography is necessary to national defense or, or, or whatever, but... I guess maybe it could be sometimes. <laughs> I don't think I don't know that terrorists are making plans in porn site chat rooms, but whatever. Uh, section eighty one twelve is another f- kind of funny section. It kind of kills me that they have to say this. Prohibits funds provided by this bill from being used for government travel charge card expenses for gaming, which means gambling, uh, or for entertainment that includes topless or nude entertainers or participants. Here's the thing about that that makes me laugh: topless or nude entertainers is strippers. Um, that's, that's pretty common. If you said topless or nude entertainment, that's basically porno or strippers. It's fine. Uh, participants (laughs) is an interesting piece of language in this bill. I would, I would think that a topless or nude participant would be a prostitute. (laughs) Um, so that makes me laugh a little bit. Um, entertainers or participants, that's. An interesting way to word that, but that is basically the DOD appropriations bill, and it's it's got a bunch of other boring shit in it, but those are the bits that stuck out to me and kind of made me laugh a little bit. So, moving on from interesting legislation and toward the news. Let's jump right into this. I want to kind of blaze through it a little bit. From the AP, the new chief of staff takes over at White House come Monday. So, there's there's a, there's been a lot of, let's call it shifting around. At the White House recently, it's 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 kind of become a revolving door of sorts in recent days with uh, you know the Scaramucci issue and uh, now this uh, retired Marine General John Kelly. This is from the AP. Retired Marine General John Kelly is battle is a battle hardened commander who would bring a background of military discipline and order to President Donald Trump's roiling White House as the new Chief of Staff. Kelly's experience as Homeland Security Secretary and a veteran of three tours in Iraq, along with a sobering family tragedy, suggests he'll be a loyal manager for Trump when he starts the job Monday. So, uh, John Kelly is going to be taking over as Trump's chief of staff, firing, I believe he's replacing, I can't remember actually who he's replacing. One of the interesting things about the Trump White House is that with other administrations, it's fairly easy to keep everybody straight. You know who the chief of staff is. You know who the uh, who some of the advisors are. You know, and it just kind of leaks in, and, and you just kind of remember it by osmosis after a while. With the Trump administration, I'm finding that I'm having a hard time remembering who does what. <laughs> like um, we had the the Breitbart guy, and we had uh, we had Ke- we have Kellyanne Conway and stuff, and I don't know what the fuck their jobs are. I can't remember for the life of me what it is that they do because they all seem to kind of not have a defined job they're just kind of doing whatever and it and it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit but it's it's fine i guess but he'll be taken over as uh, trump's chief of staff on monday now from the daily caller again daily caller a website i don't really like but this story kind of gives you the impression that the elitism of verified twitter accounts is alive and well uh, from the Daily Caller, there's a now there's now a dating app for verified Twitter users. A dating app service announced Tuesday that it's introducing a new version in which only verified Twitter users are allowed. 
After several years of availability, Love Flutter decided to adapt its platform so it can be exclusive to what it calls the Blue Tick community. Twitter users apply for official verification in order to appear as a special member of society. So, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> yeah, the elitism of uh, Blue Checks is alive and well, and I just find that kind of funny. Uh, now, more sobering news, I suppose, coming up. From uh, out of North Korea, from Zero Hedge. Uh, Zero Hedge is, of course, a news aggregator of sorts, kind of, that I, that I like to look at because they tend to be more critical. But um, the latest North Korean ICBM can reach Los Angeles, Denver, and Chicago, according to Zero Hedge. Uh, now they have an update. I'm going to read the update first. Following North Korea's earlier launch of yet another ICBM, President Trump has just released the following statement describing the latest provocation as reckless and dangerous. That's in quotes. While adding that the actions only serve to further, quote, isolate North Korea, weaken its economy, and deprive its people. So that's, that's what happened. North Korea's test launch, uh, let me see, I'm sorry, that's just a quote from the thing. While North Korea has test-fired numerous ballistic missiles, mostly intermediate range, including one intercontinental in the past, as such, and as such, today's launch was rarely, was large, hmm, I'm having a hard time reading today, I'm sorry was largely seen as merely the latest political provocation to Trump by a seemingly oblivious Kim Jong-un. There was one notable difference in the launch post-mortem. According to press and Pentagon reports, the maximum altitude attained by the ICBM was 3,700 kilometers, or 2,300 miles, with a flight time of about 47 minutes. This is material because according to All Things Nuclear, based on the latest information, today's missile test by North Korea could easily reach not only the U.S. West Coast, but also a number of major U.S. cities. So, again, that's from Zero Hedge. Uh, North Korea's ICBMs are getting better, it seems, which only makes sense. When you're dealing with rocketry, um, and we've seen this, if you, if you look back at, like, Goddard and NASA and stuff like that, rocketry, I mean, you just shoot shit into the air and still stuff start, until stuff starts to work. Uh, we've seen the same thing with SpaceX and all this. Uh, it doesn't make any, it's not really any surprise that North Korea's uh, ICBMs would be getting better. Uh, now, the only fears is whether or not they can carry a nuclear payload. Now, I'm of the mind that North Korea doesn't want to die, but I could be wrong, I suppose. From CNET, House panel wants Google Facebook CEOs to testify on internet rules. Now, the main reason that I want to go to this story has really very little to do with the story itself, and it has everything to do with, uh, uh, I think it's Representative, uh, Chairman Representative Greg Walden. That's who it is, Chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. And I just listened to what he has to say, because this is a fucking travesty. This was posted to the Energy and Commerce Twitter. ...over the rules for internet operations and consumer privacy. It is our responsibility on the Energy and Commerce Committee to fully understand all sides of the internet governance issue. Therefore, I'm announcing this morning that I'm convening a full Energy and Commerce Committee hearing entitled Ground Rules for the Internet Ecosystem for Thursday, September 7th, 2017. Today, I'm sending formal invitations to the top executives of the leading tech companies, including Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, and Netflix, as well as broadband providers, including Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, and Charter Communications, inviting each of them to come and testify before our full Energy and Commerce Committee. It's time for Congress to legislate the rules of the Internet and stop the ping-pong game of regulations and litigation. And make no mistake, given the importance of this public policy debate, 
and the work we need to do as a committee. It is essential that we hear directly from the country's top internet and edge provider leaders who frequently speak out publicly about rules of the internet. It's time they came before us and directly shared their positions and answered our questions. Okay, the important part of this, I think, is something that's being overlooked in the net neutrality debate, and that is... Uh, I'm just going to come back to about here and see if I've got about the right place. First committee. It's time for Congress to legislate the rules of the Internet. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I'll play it again just to ensure that we all hear the same thing. It's time for Congress to legislate the rules of the Internet. Is anyone surprised by this? Really? Net neutrality, I've said for a very long time. Net neutrality is opening the door to regulation of the internet and not regulation of ISPs, not regulation of service providers, not regulation of edge providers, which they define wrong, by the way. Edge providers are defined incorrectly by Congress. Not regulation of any of that, but regulation of what it is that you do on the internet. That's what's going on here. Net neutrality is, uh, I don't really give a shit what you think about net neutrality as a debate. I give a shit about opening the door to regulating you and me. I'm going to go through here. I'm, I want to, I looked at the net neutrality rules from 2015. And throughout these net neutrality rules, there is, they make mention, uh, frankly, way too often of lawful versus unlawful content. And I'm, I've got, I've got the numbers here. Um, 104 mentions of lawful content, uh, 35 mentions of unlawful content. That's a total of 139 mentions in a 400-page document. Now, that means on average, if, if, if they only mention it once in a page, that means that 30, that would mean that 34% of the pages have the words lawful or unlawful content. 34%. Now, it's not mentioned once a page, of course, but if it were... That's an insane effort. And having it be, frankly, 139 times in a 400-page document, that's too fucking much. And this worries me for two reasons. The first reason it worries me is that uh, lawful versus unlawful content, if, if, if the purpose of net neutrality is that all bits are treated equally, then by definition, lawful and unlawful bits uh, should be treated equally, right? But no, no, we're already making exceptions to what is supposed to be the axiom of net neutrality. Outside of that, lawful and unlawful content, do you not see what this opens up the door for? This means that ISPs would be allowed to, and based on some of the language of these rules, obliged to throttle unlawful content. Now, what is unlawful content? Well, it's whatever the fuck Congress says is unlawful at any given time. And we just saw all of these arrests in Germany for people with, I shit you not, quoting from the story, illegal opinions. Posting illegal opinions on Facebook. Unlawful content, right? So this opens up ridiculous amounts of, um, I don't want to word it that way. This creates a very slippery situation for free speech. A very slippery situation. Especially with all the pushes uh, against fake news and all this other stuff from the Democrats. As soon as the Democrats retake the Congress, do you seriously think that licensing isn't going to come for journalists and people who consider themselves to be citizen journalists? And I actually went to J school. <laughs> right? But that's not going to matter. I'm going to have to be licensed. 
If you don't think it's, you're insane if you don't think that's coming. It's already been proposed in the in the EU. And so any kind of journalistic content from somebody who's not a licensed journalist or a licensed podcaster or whoever they're, they're going to break it up, that, those would be unlawful bits. And they could be totally blocked by ISPs based on these rules. So it, net neutrality, I, again, I don't really give a shit where you stand on how ISPs are regulated. I am worried about opening the door to uh, a chilling effect on speech in any way. And that's all I really have to say about that. Moving on, from the New York Times, Snopes, in heated legal battle, asks readers for money to survive. Snopes, the fact-checking website that once focused on debunking flimsy internet rumors, but has expanded into a 16-person operation that calls out political leaders for dishonesty, is locked in a legal battle that says it has drained the money it needs to survive. Oh, locked in a, I'm sorry, locked in a legal battle that it says has drained the money it needs to survive. The site, which gets all of its revenue from advertising, created a, found, a crowdfunding page on Monday, raising $500,000 from readers in one day to remain operational indefinitely. It says that Proper Media, the vendor that runs its advertising services, has withheld the, site, has withheld the site's revenue and has refused to relinquish control of the site. That leaves Bardov, the company that owns and operates Snopes, with no way of moving the site to a new host or installing its own ads, said David Mickelson, a founder of the site. Now, this is interesting to me because Snopes, I, I don't really like. And they are um, typically... Typically, Snopes is uh, politically ignorant of a lot of things. Um I, I've addressed them before when they said they debunked a bunch of the Seth Rich conspiracy theories um, when they hadn't debunked anything. They talked to people that, of course, would deny it. That's not the same as debunking. Um, but but Snopes, you know, Snopes plays for a side politically. Uh, they're really great for when your grandma shares some stupid shit on Facebook. You can post a link to Snopes, and you know that never really happened. But where politics is concerned, they're not really worth the shit. So, frankly, I don't really mind if they go under. <laughs> it's, uh, it doesn't really bother me. All right. Uh, next door from the libertarianrepublic.com. Now, this is another site that clearly has an agenda, and I tend to not like those. But this, I think, is hilarious, and this is just one story that covers the same thing that, that a lot of places have covered. Bill Nye says, old people must die for climate science to progress. Now, they call him Comedian Bill Nye, which is hilarious to me because that's about all he is at this point. Comedian Bill Nye, the science guy, said Wednesday that the climate change movement can only move forward once the older generation begins to die off. Quote, climate change deniers, by way of example, are older. It's generational, Nye told the, end quote, Nye told the Los Angeles Times in an interview. Nye added that he shouldn't be too hard on older citizens, however, because he's now one of them. Quote, we're just going to have to wait for those people to age out, as they say, unquote. Nye said, adding that age out is a euphemism for dying. Quote, but it'll happen, I guarantee you, that'll happen, end quote. Well, Bill Nye's 61 years old. It hurts my heart because I was, I grew up watching Bill Nye the Science Guy. It was, it was amazing. I loved that show. And that show is what I think made me think partially, uh, made me think the way that I do. Bill Nye the Science Guy was amazing. The way that they explained things, the way that that, that, that basic physics and, and and things like that were explained, it just it it was awesome to a kid. But Bill Nye at this point, I mean, he was Emmy nominated for that stupid fucking episode of his Netflix show, and that was a ridiculous. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Someone in the chat. Torviz in the chat. Um, yeah, it, it was just... It's it's hilarious how bad he's gotten. And it, and it kind of hurts. Because I really liked Bill Nye for a long time. And now he's like, old people need to die. It, it just kind of blows my mind. So yeah. Bill Nye's 61 years old. He's going to die soon too. Um, that's alright, Torvis. That's alright. Torvis, I, I was telling people... When I was posting before the show, I was saying, join the chat, tell me I'm wrong. And Torvis just pops in and goes, you are wrong! <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> His, uh... I'm gonna start adding featured accounts on my YouTube account, featured uh, creators off to the side, kind of, and he's gonna be one of them. Him, and as soon as I can find Ryan Portofield's channel, it's difficult to find. I think he got his name wrong when he told me or something. Um, yes, I love my shirt, Torvis. It's incredible. All right, from the Intercept, written by Glenn Grenoir, with new DC policy group, Dems continue to rehabilitate and unify with Bush era neocons. Now, if you know some of the things that I've said before, you know that I've talked about the Kagans, and I have a book. Let me look real quick. Where is it? I can't find it. Anyway, I have a book that's written by Robert Kagan, but um, yeah, this is a. Uh, the Kagans are sort of a... They're shady. They're shady people. Uh, Victoria Newland is the wife of one of the Kagan boys. And uh, everywhere Victoria, Victoria Newland went during the Obama administration, uh, a couple of months or a couple of weeks to a couple of months later, that place erupted in riots and just bad shit. So I'm going to go ahead and look at this story from The Intercept. One of the most under-discussed yet consequential changes in the American political landscape is the reunion between the Democratic Party and the country's most extreme and discredited neocons. While the rise of Donald Trump, whom, whom neocons loathe, has accelerated this realignment, it began long before the ascension of Trump and is driven by far more common beliefs than contempt for the current president. A newly formed and, by all appearances, well-funded national security advocacy group devoted to more hawkish U.S. policies toward Russia and other adversaries provides the most vivid evidence yet of this alliance. Calling itself the Alliance for Securing Democracy, the group describes itself as a bipartisan transatlantic initiative that will help comprehensive strategies to defend against, deter, and raise the costs on Russian and other state actors' efforts to undermine... Let me look to undermine democracy and democratic institutions, and also will work to publicly document and expose Vladimir Putin's ongoing efforts to subvert democracy in the United States. Okay, here we have a, a YouTube video. I think this is a promo video for the organization, so I'm just going to go ahead and click on that, and let's, let's listen to a little bit of it, not too much. Cyber-terrorism, election hacking, hybrid warfare. I'm going to turn it down. It's time to secure democracy, it says. The Alliance for Securing Democracy. Wait a minute, was that just... Okay, hold on. It says hybrid warfare, like, I went through that. And then it just shows a woman at a computer. Like, it looks like stock footage of a woman at a computer with, like, this green radar screen overlaid, and it's just spinning. And she's just, like, looking. And then it says it's time to secure democracy. Like, that's all it is, is this fucking stupid-looking stock footage. Oh my god! <laughs> that is so bad. That is so bad. What the fuck? The Alliance for Securing Democracy. What is this? Who runs this thing? 
I need to look and make sure that this is the Kagans because I thought I'm up another. This is Chertoff, Bill Crystal, Mike Rogers, Julie Smith, Nicole Wong. Where's the Kagan one? I think I got this wrong. Ooh, that's embarrassing. That's very embarrassing. Rosenberger, Jamie Fly. That's embarrassing. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. They, they did. The Kagans did start up a new organization. What's it called? What's it called? That's embarrassing. Okay. I'm going to have to cut this little bit out, actually. Um, not the, not me fucking up the story, but just all this silence where I'm trying to find the real the real organization. Um, shit, 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 shit. Okay. That is an organization, though. It's founded by people who did work with Kagan, but it's not Kagan himself. The reason I brought this up is because uh, they talked about it on the No Agenda show, so now I've got to go to their show notes to find the actual thing. Ah! It's a okay... That's why I fucked it. Ooh, this is actually very interesting. Okay. This is why I fucked up. This is why I fucked up. Okay. Holy shit. This is very interesting. All right. So what's being covered in The Intercept is the uh, organization called the Alliance for Securing Democracy. The Alliance for Securing Democracy is a sub-organization of the GMF. That's the German Marshall Fund. And, oh... Wow. Okay. So the German Marshall Fund is run by the Kagans. And that's why I thought I had the wrong organization. Is The, the uh, Alliance for Securing Democracy is run by the German Marshall Fund. Holy shit. Okay. There we go. It makes more sense now. Oh, wow. It doesn't surprise me that it would be... Uh, I'm just going to... Um, I'll just post that video URL in the chat. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. That is a surprise. Okay. Wow. That's what threw me off. It is the same organization. It's just like a sub-organization within the organization. Wow. Okay. Well, that's the end of uh, the news segment. I fucked it up there in the end, but it'll be okay. It, it led me to a more interesting discovery. It's kind of appropriate for the shirt I'm wearing. The old Bob Ross shirt. There are no mistakes. Okay. Now, for this chunk of the show... I want to talk about, uh, I, I like to talk about universities. I like to talk about free expression on universities and kind of what policies universities are adopting. Uh, this is one that kind of is interesting to me. The collegefix.com reports Princeton's new men's engagement manager to combat aggressive masculinity on campus. I'm just going to read some of this. Are young men at Princeton University violent, aggressive, hypermasculine stalkers or rapists? A new position at the Ivy League institution indicates campus officials apparently think enough of its male students grapple with such problems that, it's warrants, that it warrants hiring a certified clinician dedicated to combating them. The university is in the process of hiring an interpersonal violence clinician and men's engagement manager who will work with a campus office called SHARE that is dedicated to survivors of sexual harassment, assault, dating violence, and stalking. According to Cher, one in four female undergrads experienced such misconduct during the 2015-2016 school year. The men's manager will also launch initiatives to challenge gender stereotypes and expand the school's men's allied voices for a respectful and inclusive community. A self-described violence prevention program at Princeton that often bemoans toxic masculinity on its Facebook page. According to the job description, the men's manager will develop educational programs targeting the apparent high-risk campus-based populations, that's quote, high-risk campus-based populations for primary prevention of interpersonal violence, including sexual harassment, sexual assault, domestic dating uh, violence, and stalking, end quote. The job posting implicitly refers to men as the perpetrators and women as victims. Okay. Yeah. What do you expect? This doesn't surprise me at all. The, uh... 
the notion there, there there's a a common theme among social justice, especially campus social justice and campus feminism, that men are bad. Like that's just the theme is men are bad. It's it's not so much feminism as it is misandry, and it's it's a fascinating fascinating topic. I, I just there is to a certain extent. I don't want to use vocabulary and, and verbiage like war on men and all that other crap because I don't I don't think it's that's like saying war on Christmas it's kind of stupid but there is a, a a fairly heavy push for silencing men generally and for uh, 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 vilifying maleness in an interesting way now maleness look I, I mean you want to talk about cultural maleness and stuff like that like sure there's Different cultures have different expectations for what maleness exactly is, but vilifying the the, the Western notions of maleness uh, seems like a step in the wrong direction. It seems like an overstep, I suppose, for uh, any kind of social movement. It's like vilifying femininity. There's no real reason to do it. And if you want to reject maleness or reject femininity, reject those things that are... Um, those kind of cultural expectations of whatever gender you you are, I mean, fine, you can reject those. That's there's nothing wrong with that. But rejecting it and saying that it's inherently bad are two different things. And this is saying that this is part of uh, of kind of the movement saying that maleness is inherently bad. And I, I disagree with that heavily. And and especially to again. Women as victims, men as the perpetrators, uh, sort of by default, it not only um, ignores male rape victims, which which are real, <laughs> like you can't really deny that men can get raped, but it's also, um, and that's one of the things that, that sort of these uh, campus feminists do, is they'll deny that men can be raped, and it's, it's absolute insanity, but... Uh, this is just kind of part and parcel to that, and staying on universities. Why college students should engage with with offensive ideas from thefire.org. Now, I've talked about the fire before. This is a campus free speech organization that rates campus policies against free expression and sort of uh, gives people a rating, and they also have news and blogs and things like that. So, why college students should engage with offensive ideas? When advocating for free speech at my university, the University of Virginia, perhaps the most common objection I hear goes something like this. Quote, why should I listen to offensive ideas? Or, quote, why should I talk to someone who I think has nothing to offer? Before coming to fire, I would stammer and flail. They were asking a tough question, and I did not have an adequate answer, but now I do. Both of the objections given above rely on the assumption that insulating or flawed... And I'm sorry... Assumption that insulting or flawed ideas do not contribute in any way to academic pursuits or intellectual dialogue. But that is a faulty assumption. The reality is precisely the opposite. College students should engage with ideas they find offensive or disagreeable because doing so advances the aim of a liberal arts education, namely to become a better truth seeker. But how exactly does exposure to intellectual challenges facilitate a student's education? In any discussion over any issue, there are two possible outcomes that benefit learning in distinct and impactful ways. While most arguments fall somewhere in the middle of entirely right or wrong, I will examine why only the two extremes, as the objections I hear tend to be raised only in exceptional circumstances. So, uh, I, I definitely recommend going and reading the entire thing, but the basic point of it is that listening and, and hearing ideas that you deem to be offensive makes you a better thinker? And it also might open your eyes. Maybe maybe this idea that you deem to be offensive actually isn't offensive. Maybe it's just 
difficult for you to understand. That if you finally get it, then you might think differently or what have you. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that free speech should be protected. Um, and this is only one of them. We talked on the last show about how you can only be exposed to new ideas, new philosophies, and change your mind, which is what we should all be doing most of the time, <laughs> or to a certain extent of the time, is trying to find the things that are going to change our minds, because if, if they do change our minds, that's good, that means we've grown, and if they don't change our minds, then, uh, then we, we, we can be comfortable, you know, uh, having the opinions that we do, until something comes along that will change our mind. But that can only happen in an environment of free expression. You can only be exposed to new ideas and new philosophies in an environment of free expression. And so that's, uh, that's really the point of bringing that up. Now let me check my time here. I'm not sure how long I've been going. Only 37 minutes. Wow. Wow. Okay. So uh, I want to move on to this, <laughs> what I was looking at earlier. Um, I made a, well, let's start from the beginning. I got in a discussion with a guy on, on Twitter, which I'm, I'm want to do and also shouldn't do, but it's, it's interesting to talk to people who think differently than you do, and I got in the discussion with this guy on Twitter about, uh, I, I think, I can't remember what thread it was on. I don't know. It was on a healthcare thread, a thread about healthcare. And I said, you know, you're not entitled. What I did, you know, I was just commenting on somebody who said that universal healthcare is a necessity and all that stuff, and I said, you're not entitled to the product of someone else's labor. And a guy replied to me and he said, what the hell does that mean? And so that kicked off a discussion with this guy who who was effectively bringing up all of the arguments that guys like me, anarchists or, or, or what have you, have heard before. Bringing up all of these arguments that we've already that we already know how to answer, all these things that are not knockdown arguments, but people think they are. Um, and I have yet to see a knockdown argument for uh, anarchism. I have yet to see it. There's no knockdown argument that I've seen for anarchism. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be one. Again, going back to the free expression thing, we have to be open to changing our minds about things. We have to be open to changing uh, what we think. We have to be open to new ideas, and I am. But I have yet to see a knockdown argument for anarchism. And so I was talking to this guy and I was going through the arguments and he was bringing things up. I was like, well, what about this? And, well, don't you think this could happen instead of that? And besides, you want to fund this with taxation, you know, it's stolen goods. And so that's not a legitimate solution anyway. If stealing from people and paying for a thing is a legitimate solution to a thing or to a problem, then why aren't we all stealing from each other and using that to pay for stuff that we deem to be important? You know, it's it's... Paying for something with stolen goods is not a solution. And, and so he went through all those arguments that we've all heard before. So I decided this. Now, this was not a bad debate, but I've been in bad debates. My, the, the discussion I had with this guy was actually pretty good. We were congenial and we were shitting in each other's mouths. But we were, you know, it was a debate. It got a little heated in some places, but it wasn't attacking each other. It was, it was ideas-based. And that, to me, is a good debate. I like that. So, after talking to this guy, I, I, uh, I decided, I've seen this before, but I hadn't seen it done the way that I would do it. And so I decided to make status bingo. And this is to be used in instances where, this is to be used by anarchists or even libertarians, I guess, in instances where a statist is having a bad debate with you, has initiated a bad debate, a debate that's not just based on ideas, but it's full of ad hominem attacks, and it's 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 directly aggressive, and it's it's not 
you know, it's just a bad debate, really. Uh, good debates, you can tell the difference between a good debate and a bad debate when you're in one. And so this is to be used in those bad debates in order to uh, sort of provide some entertainment for yourself. Because you know when, when you're in a bad debate like that, you know it's not going to go anywhere. You're just going to be, if you, if you keep trying to argue the points, they're not going to listen. They're not going to even consider that you might be right. You know, and all this is foundational to bad debate. So I said, let's have some fun with bad debates because we, we get into a lot of them. Anarchists and, and libertarians as well tend to get into a lot of really bad debates. <laughs> Because people just love their government so much and they are uh, not inclined to the notion that their government is uh, unnecessary, <laughs> we'll just say. So I decided to make status bingo and, and uh, the rules are as follows. Rules, not rulers, are as follows. Play this to entertain yourself while you bang your head into a wall debating a statist. Do so on paper or use the PNG in a photo editor of your choice. When you get bingo, take a picture and reply to the status with bingo and the hashtag status bingo if online. Do not respond again. End the conversation there. Only play this if the conversation is hopeless. If it's a good or congenial debate, by all means, take that debate seriously. And the fourth rule, a statement from a statist can cover multiple spaces. Use your good judgment, but cover all that applies. So I want to go through these little squares here. First square, my social contract. Government invented the internet. That is, government caused a technological advancement of some kind. Hundreds of years of social evolution. That is, humans established government for a reason. That argument. But monopolies. Wouldn't corporations take everything over? Wouldn't we have monopolies? Blah, blah, blah. Check your privilege. And that is, any mention of privilege as a reason for your philosophy. My democracy. My democracy. This is, you know, saying that representative government or democracy is inherently good. My founders. This is, uh... This is a square that I had to apply a little bit of a restriction on. This country was founded on does not count. It must mention the founders or a founder. Your rights come from government. This is the classic argument of uh, your rights come from government, where uh, most libertarians, anyway, would say that government exists to protect rights, not to give rights. The rights exist because you're a human person, <laughs> and the government exists to protect those rights. Um, I don't want to live in Mad Max. And that is for any dystopian fiction that people conflate with anarchism. You're a liberal. That's identifying you as someone on the left side of the spectrum. That's, that's, uh, anarchists get that a lot. You're just a liberal. We also get another square on here. You're a conservative a lot. Um, because we can't be easily slotted into those boxes that most people think in when they're talking, when they're thinking about politics. So we've got my schools, which is, you know, education. There wouldn't be education without government. Hobbes, Rousseau, Marx, that's name-dropping in a philosopher. Uh, the cost of living in a society. This is typically a justification for taxation or for limiting your own liberties, a government limiting your rights, limiting your rights. Police stand between order and chaos. Now, this is for any justification for government law enforcement, uh, which anarchists have answered a million times that government law enforcement isn't necessary, though you do have to have uh, a certain... You do have to have a way to deal with people who do not... Uh, behaves uh, well in a social situation, let's say. Um, you're a conservative. Again, we get that a lot. Ad hominem. That's anarchist slash you are stupid or hateful, etc. Paramilitary slash warlords will take over. That's self-explanatory. Move to Somalia slash if you don't like it, leave. Uh, which is one of the dumber arguments. Uh, because if human rights apply only within certain geographical borders, then we shouldn't have any problem with Saudi Arabia. We do have a problem with Saudi Arabia, thus human rights must not be dependent upon geography. Um, 
You hate slash don't care about poor people. Uh, my welfare, that's any entitlement program. My utilities, that's gas, electric, water, trash removal. Uh, you're crazy, any statement that questions your sanity. Argument from authority, that's some political figure, expert, or what have you, says this. Um, and my military, that is an argument for the necessity of a military force that's run by government. And so that's status bingo. Uh, you can get that uh, from my Twitter, at Files. If you want to have a conversation with, uh, with a statist, and, and the, the, the debate's not going well. It's, it's not a good debate. Um, this is not for if you are losing the debate, uh, because if you're losing a debate, you're straight up losing the debate. Sorry. Get better. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is basically that. Again, you can get it from my Twitter, at Files. And with that, I think I'm going to end the show. What's our, what's our time at? 42 minutes? Yeah, yeah. That's not bad. Typically, I like to break 45 minutes, but I guess I'm not going to do that today. Uh, so yeah, I'll end the show now. Thank you very much for listening to Dino Files. This has been episode number 25. Uh, you can find this show on AIRAD.io or on any podcatcher. Um, you can also find it on YouTube, though I don't really pay too much attention to YouTube. It's just a place to deposit, sort of, deposit shows. Uh, you can also go to AIRAD.io to find uh, other shows by other creators. Remember, we've got a couple of other shows coming up. I am in conversation with the guys at the Liberty Weekly Podcast. Now, that is a wonderful show, incredible show. And I am in conversation with them to do a crossover episode, which would be a lot of fun, I think. I I like those guys. They're smart guys. And so we might uh, end up talking sometime in August, and and that'll be released as a podcast. Now, uh, if you want to talk to me, you can talk to me on Twitter, at DinoFiles, and that's typically the best way to get a hold of me. You can also contact uh, A-I-R-A-D or admin at AIRAD.io if you have a podcast that's looking for a home or uh, you want to start a podcast. Uh, we can help you out at AIRAD.io. That's uh, from Alternative Internet Radio, the network that this show's a part of. Like an idiot, I forgot to mention the Patreon, so I'll kind of insert it in the show right before I sign off and I'll say go to patreon.com slash show in order to donate to the show because I am doing this for free right now and it's uh, um, not easy, I guess, to get the parts I need and to get uh, items and to reinvest back in the show is really why I want people to donate. So, patreon.com slash show and uh, give us a, a little bit of jingle. That'd be great. Thank you all very much for listening and I will be happy to see you next time.